0: series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. One
1: of my favorite commercials that's on television right now is the Southwest Airlines because they don't charge for bags. And I love those guys and they start crying because they love the bags, you know. And the, the last part of it is, grab your bags, it's what? It's on. That's what that commercial says. Grab your bags, it's on. So, Grab your bags. <laughs> it's on. This course, I do what? That's, that's, I hope you got that out of the cover. I do what? <laughs> what did I commit to? What did I promise? I did yeah. <laughs> it's going to consist. This is the ring right here. All right, this is a key ring, the biggest one we could find. And this is a ring, not, yes, not a nose ring. That's right. You don't put a leash on it. But all the keys will go on this ring. And that's what I want you to see. Each one of them can stand alone. But they all open a door into the marriage relationship that God wants us to have. And what Diana and I did, we sat down at the table and tried to walk through what God has had to teach us in our marriage. We're not going to try to cover every base. We can't because we hadn't been there in some areas. But we can at least walk you through your comfort wherein you've been what? Wherein you've been comforted. And so we're going to try to take that idea and relate it to you. It's going to be some, <laughs> some funny stories. And uh, if you don't know that Diana doesn't have a sense of humor, you just don't know uh, Diana. But each key opens a door. Now, but they're all on the same ring. So don't make it look like there's this area and this area and this area and this area. Each door kind of builds on the other one. And it's all about the house. It's the same house. And the house is the perfect plan for marriage that God has for us. Let me just read a passage to you. In Ephesians. uh, You know where I'm headed. Chapter five, verse twenty two. Wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's good. Let's just go on. No. (laughs) Isn't it it funny? Every husband loves that verse. (laughs) But then it lays it down. He doesn't minister he doesn't say much to the wife. Well, he really he whips the husband. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, and I notice this, so also the wives ought to be sub to their husbands in everything. But look what he says to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. God has a lot to say about the marriage. There's a lot to say about the marriage. And so don't try to preempt me when we go one direction because... We've got eight sessions to go through before we finish this thing. And uh, tonight, af- uh, we're going to basically take you to, a, to that night that, that, or the afternoon or whatever time that you got married. We're going to try to understand a little bit better of what we committed to but had no clue about <laughs> until years later. Isn't it interesting? It's almost like receiving Christ. You receive Him as the Lord of your life, and you understand this much of that when you received him. But you spend the rest of your life doing what? Understanding the rest of it. <laughs> you grow and you learn it as you go along. I'm going to go to first tonight and Diana's going to wrap it up. we will say the best to last on that. But the first time I ever saw Diana was at the Miss Kentucky pageant. Now I was not a contestant. I want you to know that. But I was dating another girl that didn't make the top ten. <laughs> and I remember her sister We were all in a car together, went out to where they were staying, and they couldn't speak to a man. They couldn't have any man around them could speak because of all the bad publicity that could come from that. And Dinah walked by. And I'm thinking, who is that? And I was thinking, too, she's tall and good-looking and beautiful smile and a tan. I'm just really impressed. And so as, as as the pageant went on, She was in the running to win it, and I started rooting for her. Didn't know her, didn't know anything about her. She was Miss Owensboro, but the plot began to thicken because I was about to go to First Baptist Church of Owensboro, Kentucky as their youth pastor. And so, hmm, Miss Owensboro, I'm going to Owensboro. I wasn't there yet. So we all were rooting for her. The whole crowd was for her, but she didn't get it. She got second runner-up. Well, thank the Lord, because if she had won it, I would have never met her. But she got second up Then she, they picked a runner-up to go to uh, Chicago and to be in the Miss National Sweetheart and she won that one and won both trophies Miss Congeniality and but she did that because she came from a family that just didn't have a lot in fact when I went to her house to when I first dated her I thought I was in the wrong part of town eight children in her family she did that to get scholarships to go to school that's the only way she could go to college and so I remember We were supposed to meet at a ball game one night, but dumb me, I thought it was supposed to be at at the end of the game. She thought it was supposed to be at halftime or vice versa, but we got it all messed up. So that that was out. Finally, one night over Thanksgiving, uh, see, 41 years ago, I came home and I I had another girl, (laughs) careful, but there was this girl in my youth group when I had been a youth pastor there and she needed to ride back to uh, college, at Carson Newman College in Tennessee, and so I was taking her back there and then coming on, and I had a date with Diana, but there was a wreck on that highway. You know, back then, they didn't have a lot of interstates and stuff. It was mainly two-lane roads, and it was a big tractor-trailer truck that had been wrecked, and it blocked the traffic for hours. And so I got, she, I got to the school, and she said, why don't you just stay? I got a friend of mine. And can you stay in his room and spend the weekend? I said, you know, hold it. I've got a date with somebody tonight, and I'm going to call her to see if she's willing to understand, then I'm going to be about three hours late. And I called, and she was very understanding, and I said, see ya. And I got, we drove there, and, and we went out to eat that night, and neither one of us ate. I did not eat a thing. I can eat when I'm sick, but I could not eat. And I knew, I knew something was going on. Two weeks later, I asked her to marry me. <laughs> and uh, four months after I met her, we were married, and that was over 40 years ago. I was almost 26, and she turned 20. Uh, Right before we got married, so it was it was quite an experience. And and, you know we have to think back to the wedding. Oh my goodness! And she's going to tell you a lot about that later on. For the first session, though, I want here's what I want to do. I want to go to a marriage ceremony that I performed back in 2008 to a very dear couple up in Tennessee. matter, Matter of fact, some of you may remember when I couldn't get back here because it snowed in Atlanta. And I got stuck in Atlanta. Of all places, it snows in Atlanta. And I couldn't get back to preach on that Sunday morning. Well, that was the particular wedding that I want to take you to. And again, I want us to realize how distracted we are on our wedding day and how much we miss in what we commit to. And that's what this course is going to do, is bring us back to square one. What did we commit to? I did what? That's that's the whole reason for this. There's a a bit of humor in this from time to time, because this can get a little bit uh, serious. And we'll, we'll try to keep it that way. All right, first of all, when you go into a wedding, the first thing is the prelude to the wedding. Uh, y'all know how that goes. And the seating of the mothers. I, I just it cracks me up to watch these mamas. This is their day. This is their day. And they love going in and be seated. They just enjoy, enjoy that. Sometimes they come in and light the candles. It depends on how, how your wedding ceremony goes. <coughs> Then the best man, when the wedding march starts and the groom and the preacher come out, I got a funny story about that. One time we were about to do a wedding and, <laughs> and I was just telling jokes with the groom, trying to relax him because they are always so nervous they can hardly speak. I kept reminding them of what their name was. you know. And we had the best man back there and we were telling jokes and I heard the, <laughs> heard the music and they kept playing the same song for about 10 minutes. I'm thinking, why is he playing that long? I had asked him before the ceremony, I said, Phil, the name was Phil. I said, Phil, are you going to play the traditional wedding march? Yes, I will play the traditional. So that's what I listen for. And when it starts, we know when to go out. Well, I'm there just telling jokes and having the best time. Ten minutes at least. Well, in our church, you had to go outside to get to where I was. All of a sudden, and and, and this banging on the door, and I opened the door, and it was a wedding coordinator. And she said, where are you? We're waiting on you. And I'm thinking, what? That's not the So we walk out. And, and uh, do the wedding. We, after the wedding was over, I go to Phil, the organist, and I say, "Phil, I thought you said you were going to play the traditional wedding march." He said, "I did. It's a Czechoslovakian traditional <laughs> wedding march." <laughs> oh gosh. He, as he got older, he just kind of lost touch a lot of times. And he would one night we had a, we had a baptism, and he played uh, Moon River. And... <laughs> But the way he did it, most of the people weren't picking up, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, (laughs) he's—you know—right about this time when they start walking in is when it starts going south. I mean, if it's going to happen, it starts somewhere in this part of the wedding ceremony. One night we had a uh, tragic thing happen. The stepfather showed up outside, and they were all waiting outside the church, smaller church, and he picks a fight with the one that's supposed to walk the bride in, and Oh, it was awful. And when I got out, he came and got me, and I got out there and had to break him up. He jumps in his car and spins the car, and gravel just flies everywhere on, on me, on everybody else. It was just like ruining the day for that sweet bride. But what I'm trying to say is these things happen, don't they? And what it does, it gets our attention off of what we're about to do. Because what we're about to do is for life. It's a commitment we're making. We're entering into covenant with one another. Well, the groomsmen, the attendant, processional, they have that sometime the canon N D, whatever that is. I just remember they put that on my notes. Bridal procession, the brides come down, and everybody's just smiling. It's just a wonderful day. You've got your groomsmen that have been kidding around forever. I was uh, so much a problem to a friend of mine who was getting married years ago. His name is Barry Hall. His wife, (laughs) he was marrying, was Wanda. The preacher was 80-some years old. And in the rehearsal, they had yelled at me so many times, Wayne, will you quit it and get serious? That when it came to the vows, the preacher said, Wayne, do you take Wanda? (laughs) 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 I'm just trying to let you know that when you have a wedding, if it can happen, it will happen. I'm telling you. And what happens is that distracts you. And what happens is sometimes we forget what it was that we did in that ceremony. Well, the second part was always the charge to the bride and groom. This is the way I do a wedding. And I tell them, I told them that God views marriage to be a covenant relationship. You heard that anywhere? It's not a worldly contract. A contract can be broken. A covenant cannot. That's a big difference. People, even when they come into our church, sign a covenant with us. And they think, well, I'm not signing that. That's a creed. No, it's not a creed either. Or it's a contract. No, it's not a contract either. It's a covenant. Because we're in covenant with God, we're in covenant with one another. It's it's a beautiful thing. And it's accountability with each other. Well, the word covenant is the strongest word in any language when it comes to a binding relationship. Now, think about what we did when we walked down the aisle. I was almost 26. How many of you were 26 or younger when you walked down the aisle? (laughs) You really had it all figured out, didn't you? This word called a covenant is found in every human culture, even today. When we shake hands, that's a part of covenant. It came right out of covenant ritual. It's in every tribe. It's in every culture. But God beautifully chose to take a word that mankind could understand and bring it into the vocabulary of the relationship that he wanted with us. And love was always the motive for entering into covenant. A lot of things I didn't know Back in those days. But one thing I did. And that was I loved Diana. I had no, no qualms with that whatsoever. I, I knew the difference. My mother said one day. She said you're going to have to marry 25 of them. Because every time you date somebody. You think that's the one. But when I met Diana. I knew. That's, that knowing is amazing. And that love, loving of somebody to me. Was so uniquely different. Than what anything I'd experienced before. There are two parts to the ancient ritual of covenant. And this is, this is what I do in a marriage. This is a marriage ceremony. I took it right out of it. I mean, I didn't take it out of it, really. This is the ceremony. And I say to them, and this, this precious couple's name was Nathan and Jill. And I said, Nathan and Jill, the first part about, about covenant was identity. Two people entering into a oneness. Two people becoming one. Each person loses. Now, this is significant. Each person loses their right to. To independent living. What is it that breaks most couples up? <laughs> they start acting independent of the relationship and the covenant they have entered into. First of all, they would exchange robes. The robe was the identity of the individual with whom you were entering covenant. This had to do mainly with possessions as much as anything else. When you put that robe on, you could go down to the bank. They didn't have banks, but you go down to the bank and take out the other person's money. It represented who that individual was. So I would say to Nathan and Jill... I say, Nathan, everything that you have. I, it's interesting to me, the prenuptial agreements that people do today. That's a contract. They have no clue. A covenant is different than a contract. And so I said, Nathan, everything you own right now, Jill now owns. <laughs> she just smiling. And I said, Jill, you, everything you own right now, Nathan now owns. Said, Here's the downside of it. Nathan, everything you owe right now, (laughs) Jill, you owe. (laughs) And everything Jill owes, Nathan owes. But it's an entering into a oneness. In covenant, all that each has becomes the others. It's nothing, this is mine, this is yours. No. It's all ours. It's a big difference when you enter into a covenant relationship. Now remember, the world sees marriage as a contract. God sees marriage as a covenant. And you've got to remember that. This is a church. We're the body of Christ. We're talking about how God views our relationship. When David into covenant with, entered into covenant with Jonathan, they exchanged robes. 1 Samuel eighteen three. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and gave it to david that was a picture of that covenant oneness entering in and by the way they didn't enter into covenant with a lot of friends one friend and you searched a long time before you entered into covenant with a friend secondly they would exchange belts the belt was where they would uh, carry their weapons this was a picture of a pledge to protect one another it was something like I would tell Nathan, Nathan, you're going to protect Jill by your faithfulness to her. She'll protect you by her faithfulness back to you. First Samuel 18 goes on to say with its armor, including his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, you know the story of how Jonathan protected David from his own daddy. Who's, who was Jonathan's daddy? That was King Saul. And he hated David and was always out to kill him. But Jonathan was always stepping in the between. Why? He's in covenant with him. And covenant says, I pledge to protect you. So to the groom and to Nathan, I said, you'll protect your wife at all costs. And to the wife, Jill, I would say, Jill, you'll protect Nathan at all costs. You protect the relationship that God has given to you. Well, thirdly, that exchange names. That's easy in a marriage ceremony to explain that one. Uh, Today, I said, Jill, you'll become Mrs. Nathan Land. That was not her name before that. Abram became Abraham. We read it like Abraham. No, 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 no. His name was changed from chapter 15 in Genesis to chapter 17, and it's the God, it's the Yahweh sound. God was giving him his name. Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. We, can't, we don't even say it. It's a, it was a breath. We just say Sarah and Abraham. It sounds so crass, you know, in, in English. Well, the two become one. Dinah's name was Barker. <laughs> and growing up, she was always called Diana Barber. And I was, when I was growing up, they always called me Diana. I mean, Wayne they didn't call me Diana. <laughs> they, call, <laughs> they called me Wayne Barker. And I, I just changed one letter in her name. So she is Diana Barker Barber. I just kind of messed that name up. The second part of the covenant, and this is what I'm doing. This is a wedding. This All the people are sitting there. I mean, you've got the attendants. You've got the groomsmen. And I say, okay, the second part of the covenant ritual has to do with commitment to one another. Now, this is the tough part. First, an animal was slain. you never made a covenant that some animal did not have to lose its life. And it was a representative of the individuals going through covenant together. In other words, they should have... Where they're dying. In this, in, by entering into covenant, you're dying. And so they would enter in and they would say, do this to me or worse if I ever break this covenant. Because death... Was the penalty for breaking, the covenant, in in the ancient times? Well, it formed a path. It was known the path of blood. It was called also the way of death. Each losing their right to independent living. Now, remember your wedding day. Everything went wrong. Uh, It was raining. Uh, The groomsmen wouldn't quit clowning, and you've got everybody you're really paying attention to what you're doing that you're entering into something that means you no longer have a right to live independently of the other that's what covenant says that's the covenant language well next they would cut their wrist i've been trying to get a bride to do this forever they keep saying wayne would you do a covenant wedding i thought don't think that's really what you want (laughs) they would cut their wrist why would they cut their wrist because in leviticus what does it say The life is in the blood. What's happening? Two bloods becoming one. That's that identity one more time. And so they would, and then they would tie it with a a rope. It was in a figure eight. Now, figure eight is infinity. Like if you do a nine and come down, you stop. But you do a figure eight or a zero, what happens? You just keep going. You just keep going. The everlastingness of the covenant. And in other words, you don't enter into marriage ever thinking that you're going to break it. That this is going to end. Now we do know. That sometimes that happens. And we're going to look and see how God's grace covers that. Before we finish this course. So understand that. But when you enter into it. If you understood covenant you would know. There is no out. You enter in. Till death do us part. That's part of the vows by the way. Till death do us part. Oh was that in there? I didn't know that. I was just looking in her eyes, And the lights were in her eyes. And there was just a sparkling presence about her. I said, what? Till death do us part. That was in there? You look at any marriage manual and look at the vows. And just about every one of them have it. Now, somebody may have changed it. Sometimes people rewrite their vows, but that's traditionally what we say at a wedding. Well, they had their wrists tied together. The blood of one flowing in the other. Now, Do you think that would be a sobering situation? Do you think maybe somebody might get a picture of what they're about to do? I was on a plane one time. A guy sitting next to me said, what do, you, what do you do? I said, I'm a preacher. He said, let me tell you something, preacher. He said, the courts have made it so easy to get out of marriage. Evidently, he had had a bad breakup. He said, why don't you guys make it a lot harder to get married? Maybe then the courts wouldn't have such an easy road. And you see, when you understand covenant, there's your, there's your difficulty when you start entering into that once the vows were spoken then they would untie the arms and put a powder into the cuts and that was so interesting because that that's going to heal but with a powder in it it does what it leaves a scar and it was like a purplish scar that would be left so wherever they would go people would see that scar and know that they were in covenant they would know that they were in covenant this would always signal to everybody that this is my covenant partner. It's kind of like if it was a guy, and a guy, you say, if you want to fight me, buddy, that's why I love Sondogger. I walk around with him. I say, he's me, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to enter into covenant with him. Get somebody big. <laughs> because that's what it was. We're going to defend each other. We're going to defend each other. When we're apart, everybody knows that we're going to defend one another. Then they would celebrate. And I would, I would still like to see this in a modern-day marriage. They would celebrate by giving each other a covenant gift. Uh, a flock of sheep. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have that at your wedding? Hey, hey, I got really something for you. Oh, yeah, really? Oh, yeah, it's out here in the backyard. Sometimes they'd give them seedlings and they'd plant them so that they'd build some trees that would grow up. And every time they'd see them, they would remember that. And uh, we wear a ring that kind of helps us to remember what we did and who we are and whose we are. They would then have a covenant meal, much like you have today. What do you do after the, after the wedding's over? Everybody goes over to the area, and the bride and groom finally come in forever to get over there with the pictures. And then, and then what they do? They cut the cake, and what do they do? They feed each other. Do you realize that comes right out of covenant ritual? That has been for generations and generations, whether you're Christian or not. Remember, God took something that was secular And pulled it into his vocabulary so we could understand the relationship he wants with you and me. So remember that. Uh, He says, then they would make a pronouncement. And this is so beautiful. They would call each other friend. Friend. Uh, We're going to look at a lot of this uh, down the road. Friend's a covenant word. So intriguing to me that God uses the word covenant to describe the relationship he wants with us. So you can see where I'm headed with all of this. If you're not in covenant with God, how can you understand being in covenant with each other? You go back to that wedding day, and neither one of us, well, I'm preempting, but knew the Lord. We thought we did. I was in the ministry for eight years before I came to know Jesus. That's kind of good to have saved ministers. It kind of works better. Christianity, you see, is not a religion, but it's a relationship. Now, when we bow and receive the Lord Jesus, you see the picture here? And I always do this at every wedding. Why? Because there's a whole bunch of people out there that could care less about anything about the wedding. They just want to get drunk afterwards. And so it's an opportunity to let them know that this is a picture of the relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. We bow before him and we receive him into our hearts. He comes into our lives and forms a covenant between man and God. Jesus is the way in which we have a covenant with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 says He exchanged His robes with us. It says, he, he made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In other words, He wore our garment of humanity to the cross so that we could wear His garment of righteousness. That's covenant language. That's covenant language. In fact, the more you read Scripture, watch for the covenant. It's everywhere. I've got a forward 150. I know it's not a 250 or a 350, but it's a 150, four-wheel drive. I love my car. I love my truck. I love my truck. Don't tell you. She said, why don't you get a car like everybody else? I "I just love a truck. I can step right into it. Don't have to fall down into it and then try to break my legs to get them up under the steering wheel. I just step right into it. I never noticed a Ford 150 before, ever, until I got one. And now I'll pull up to a stoplight and somebody will pull up beside me in a Ford F-150 and i look over and I'll say. <laughs> when you hear and understand covenant, you will never read scripture differently. I mean, like you do, you'll read it differently from now on. When you begin to realize what God did to offer us the relationship. Remember, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a death. An animal had to be slain. Well, Philippians 4.13, he becomes our divine enabler. He's our protector, our, our strength giver. And our, he says, I can, Paul says, I can do all things. Is that what he says? No. He said, I can do all things through Christ. I tricked you on that question. Through Christ, who does what? You. And that's, that's in a tense. It means he's constantly infusing strength to us. It's like a fire hydrant. It's like a, the C.T. Studd said one time, there was a great evangelist. He went to a fair And he looked out and saw this guy pumping a well. He said, good night. Nobody can pump a well that hard, that fast. He kept watching 30 minutes. He said, I got to go over there. He gets a little closer and sees his eyes are slanting. He said, ah, he's oriental. And they have herbs and stuff that we don't have over here. I'm going to find out what he eats because nobody can do that. He gets a little closer, finds out his arms are made out of wood. Gets a little closer and realizes his hinges for elbows. Suddenly it dawns on him. That's an artesian well. He's not pumping the well. The well's pumping him. That's the Christian life right there. He is our enabler. He is our protector. He is our defender. And that's what Christ does for us. Well, we take on His name because we're now called Christians, Christians. Acts 11:26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church, taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Just think about it. When you call yourself a Christian, you've just taken on the name of the one to whom you're in covenant with. In fact, in Isaiah, it says Jesus is the covenant. Isn't that amazing? It's not just that we enter into covenant. He is the covenant. He said, I will make you a covenant unto all nations. He was our sacrifice that provided the way that we might enter the way of death. He told Thomas, didn't he? Thomas said, how can we know the way? He said to him, I am the way. You know, it, what bugs me a lot, and, and it comes out at other times, this is going to be more geared to what a marriage relationship is. We've got to cover these bases. It bugs me that people that come and call themselves Christians and have no desire whatsoever to do what God tells them to do. I've got a question. I wonder if they ever met Christ or they joined a church. There's a big difference. When you enter into covenant with God, He changes your heart. That's a big difference. It was His blood that freed us from the bondage of sin. Divinely human blood. This is at a wedding. I'm doing this at a wedding. I'm not just teaching this tonight because I want you to hear something else. I'm telling you exactly the way I do a wedding. And it's exciting to see what happens. It's amazing to see what happens. The Lamb of God was slain for us. Our relationship with Him... Is an eternal one. How do we know that? Because he is eternal life. You say, well, I, I want him to give me life. No, he is the life. And when he comes in, that is the life. And it goes on forever. You're, he, it's forever. It's, it's a sealed covenant in him. The mark that he put on us that we're in covenant is his Holy Spirit, which produces, which produces a heart that, that's yielded to him. Did you know it's not natural to yield to what God wants? Now, how does that affect marriage? How does it affect marriage? That's where we're headed. If you're not willing to submit to what God says, you'll never open the door to the perfect plan He has for your marriage. Never. You can still exist together. You can work out your own terms. You can find your boundaries. You'll never know what He had in His mind for you until you learn that your heart is tenderized at salvation. And when you say yes to Him, you start unlocking the doors to what He says was already yours but you just haven't been willing to enter in. Hinging on the unreasonable that God may ask you to do lies the unexpected blessings He has for you. Always remember that. Because it's not going to be reasonable. It's not reasonable to the flesh to bow before Him. And He's called us friends. John 15, 15. No longer do I call you slaves. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? For the slave doesn't know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, when I get to that point in a wedding, it's taken a while to get to that point. When I get to that point, now we say, do you understand what the vows are all about? And are you ready to take those vows with one another? Then we start. First, the ring vows. Okay, may I have the rings? And they they always fumble with it. I don't know why that is. They, get, they pick people that are just totally uncoordinated. And they can't find the ring. It's somewhere, and they're, they're looking around. Finally, they find it, and they hand it to you. You take that one ring. I sip it right over here. Take the other ring from the, from the, the, the uh, best man, and that's going to be for the, the gal. And I say, the ring is round, which pictures how long the relationship is supposed to last. Remember the figure eight? It's round. It lasts Forever. This ring is a precious metal. And I explained to them that the righteousness of Christ that lives within you is precious. This is what He enables you to do. And then I, put up, I say, Would you take this ring and put it on the left ring finger? I always do this. When we go through the rehearsal, I help the bride and the groom understand what their left hand looks like. You tell them to take the ring and put it on their left ring finger. <laughs> That's one of the funniest sights. You have to be standing where I'm standing to see it. The audience cannot see it that well. They're facing each other, but they're kind of angled, and they're looking like... And and usually the bride's going, this hand right here. And so, do you give this ring to Jill, I would say to Nathan, as a token of your love for her? And uh, Jill, will you take this ring and put it on Nathan's left ring finger? Do you give this ring as a token of your love for him? It's just an interchange of rings, that mark... I used to think when we first got married that if I took my ring off, something would happen to our marriage. (laughs) I'm thick. But then I realized, no, it's a symbol and a mark. It's a memorial. And by the way, I've lost weight. That's why I can pull that off. That helps me. It got to a point I couldn't (laughs) get that off. I'm really proud I could do that. Then the wedding vows. Here we go. This is the entering into covenant. You did this. Whether you said it exactly this way, whether you rewrote your vows, Basically, this is what you said. Do you, Nathan, do you take Jill as your lawful, wedded wife to love her as Christ loved the church and to cherish her until death parts you? And then Jill, do you take Nathan as your lawful, wedded husband to submit to him? I do what? And love him until death parts you. By the way, the word submission is not what the world has made it. It's the word ipotasso in Scripture. There's an which means we do whatever somebody tells us without any question. That's never used of a husband and wife. Only one time of Sarah to Abraham, and that was her own choice. God never told her to be that way. But what it means is two equals, absolute equals. Does, does my wife have a right to say to me, hey, big boy, I think you're a little out of line here. Absolutely. But for the form and function of the family, she chooses to say, I'll let you lead. Does that mean she's inferior? Are you kidding me? She has her her high praise to his Christ just like I do. She has her own prayer walk. She doesn't go through me. But she chooses out of form and function to be submissive. The word is a beautiful word. It's not a harsh word at all. It's the word used of uh, Jesus to his father. Do both of you realize, and I say this to Nathan and Jill, do both of you realize that you cannot, this is interesting, apart from Christ, do anything you just vowed to do. <laughs> and I've heard people in the audience start laughing. Well, good grateful. what you ask for? I said, Do you understand? You just vowed something here that you can't do. And most of the vows, I, I've changed mine a little bit, but a lot of the vows say in sickness and in health, in poverty as in wealth. I mean, you just got, I've, I've used those also. The particular service, they, they well worked with them on the vows, but that's, they understood this. Two of the finest Christians I know. Do you realize that apart from Christ, you cannot fulfill the vows you just made? And then a pronouncement of husband and wife. I used to say man and wife. And I had a wedding coordinator just chew me out and spit me out. I mean, she she said, it's husband and wife. And I said, all right, I've learned there are certain people you say, yes, ma'am. In this ceremony, now, we did the Lord's Supper. Now, you don't do that in every wedding ceremony. I always give them a, cho- a choice. And normally, I don't do it for the whole, whole church because it doesn't have anything to do with them. It has everything to do with the couple. And that's when you kneel, I kneel down in front of them. Nobody hears this. I have them, I cut my mic off. This is not a part of the service. This is not for anybody to hear. And I just talk to them. I say, listen, you're going to have some difficulties. You're going to have some problems. In fact, they'll probably start Tomorrow. So you need to understand some things. And I just talk them through that covenant. Matter of fact, when I married, I did the service, one of the, I was one of the three, I did the main message, but for our daughter, I was doing great. Man, I was, this is a piece of cake. Until that part, that part. And when I bowed down to, I might knelt down to do that, I lost. <laughs> when I lost, it Stephanie loses it. I mean, it's just, it took us a while to regain the composure there. But that's a precious time. To understand if we're in covenant with him, look what it cost him. Then therefore we can be in covenant with one another. That's what the Lord's Supper is, to remind us that we're in covenant with God. Well, we do the unity candle, and that's always a funny time. I've had seen veils almost get caught on fire by the candles. Uh, you, you have to work about how they walk over there and how they get back, and they, they get all twisted. The gown gets all twisted around, and she forgets which way to turn <laughs> to come back. But you like the unity candle. You know what the unity candle is. There's two candles on the side, and there's one in the middle. What's happening? Two are becoming one. That's, that's the covenant. I don't, why in the world we've missed this, but it's right there in a wedding ceremony. Well, then after we do that, uh, I, to, I charge the family, but I've got to tell you this. In our daughter's wedding, Dr. Spiro's was my mentor. He went on to be with the Lord this past October. But Sparrows would always say in his Greek dialect, there are two Greek words, two Greek words, two Greek words. And he said that about everything. There are always two Greek words, two Greek words. Well, it became sort of a fun, funny thing to some of the groomsmen that was in my daughter's wedding, our daughter's wedding, with Eric's friends. They were just a bunch of nuts. And I knew what they were doing. Sparrows gave the charge to, <laughs> to the couple, my, my da- our daughter and uh, son-in-law. And he starts off, he says, Eric, I knew where he was going. I was already trying not to smile. Stephanie, there are two Greek words. Well, you, you, you cannot imagine. These, uh, these, uh, these groomsmen that were standing there had been talking about this for weeks, laughing their heads off, do Greek word, do Greek word, do Greek word. When he said that, it was everything I could do. I looked at the ceiling, I looked down at the floor. So I was just inside of me. I wanted to just burst out laughing. Not in any way to shame Brother Sparrows, but just because it was so funny. They'd been picking on that the whole time. He gives the charge. And then was, was uh, that little gal the, the, the maid of honor, or was she just one of the bridesmaids that passed out? The bridesmaids. This little girl starts going and your eyes, start rolling up in her head. My, our son-in-law, his father is a doctor. He was a missionary doctor in SIM and our son-in-law was born in Nigeria. He calls himself a true African-American. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, he was born over there. So he's a doctor, and he starts watching this girl. He's standing to my left. And he starts watching this girl's eyes just start rolling back in her head. And he steps, and he cuts right across me, and I'm thinking, where's he going? And he catches her as she's falling. And she catches her and holds her there while we finish out the service. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think our daughter and son-in-law heard everything that they that was going on in that service? you got groomsmen saying, do quick work, do quick work. <laughs> You've got one of the bridesmaids passing out. You've got, I mean, it was, it was a fiasco, I mean, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, it kind of reminded me when I did uh, Shane and Dean's wedding uh, for their son, and it rained. <laughs> I think the wedding lasted 11 and a half minutes, I th- it was something like that. Because they poured down rain on everybody on the outside. Well, then they kiss the bride, you know, everything's lovely, and oh, we're married, and pronounce them a Mr. and Mrs. Nathan Lan, recessional. Now, fast forward one year. It's a Saturday morning. Dishes in the sink, unwashed. Floors haven't been vacuumed. Beds are unmade. Trash haven't been taken out. And the grass has not been cut. And one of the other says, one of them wants to go to the mall. You can tell which one that was. And the other one wants to go fishing. And one of them said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You promised when we got married. And the other says, I said, what? And all of a sudden, it starts getting real close what in the world did we do in that ceremony? What does it mean before God? I mean, it's, it takes a while. It may, it may take a week. Maybe it's a week later. It may take a year. I don't know how long it takes. But there's a reckoning day when suddenly, guys, usually it's the Holy Spirit and our wives, start reminding us what it was we committed to, that we do not have the right to independent living what you can't go play basketball i woke you up didn't i what you mean i can't go fishing what do you mean i can't go fishing i've always gone fishing what do you mean i can't go hunting what's what's going on and we start wrestling with something that we didn't even realize we committed to and that's why we're doing this course because that's exactly the way it was with me diana I always, I always uh, felt like she didn't even need to be saved. One of the nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. Found out later on I, that's not quite right. <laughs> She'll tell you that. She'll tell you that in her story. Usually, I don't ever remember it being her. I can't remember it being me about two and a half million times. Trying to wrestle with the fact, wait a minute, two have become one. And I just don't have the rights that I used to have. It's okay when I'm single. Go when you want to go. Come back when you want to come back. Do what you want to do. But not in a covenant relationship. Now you can do a contract. You can write it out. You can do your prenups. And whole, that's what the world does anyway. But not in God's eyes. No, sir. You enter into a covenant oneness. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I can hear the voice in somebody's mind that just got married maybe back in those days. Help! Is there somebody that could help me? I've always thought that counseling ought to take about five minutes, Gary. I mean, you know, just tell me why you're here, what the problem is. I'll tell you what to do now. You know, t- time's up. Let's go fishing. I just, I'm, I'm just, that's why we have, that's why we have gifted people that are counselors. <laughs> you come to me, you're going to walk out thinking, good, is there anybody else around here? One night I was at the church uh, when I, we were in Chattanooga and guy walked in, he told me the worst story I've ever heard in my entire life. I'm thinking, good night, that'd make a TV series. And he said, and when he did, he said, can you help me? He said, who are you? I said, I'm a senior pastor. I was the only one left. He said, that's who I'm looking for. And I'm thinking to myself, probably not. (laughs) And he said, he told me his problem. And I said, well, praise God. He said, what do you mean, praise God? I said, well, you're finally at the end of yourself, aren't you? And there's not one thing you can do, is there? Well, no. I said, well, praise God. He said, I said up before I could tell him, now you can discover what God can do in your life. He said, is there anybody else around here that can help me? <laughs> I'm going to let uh, Diana come up and just share a few things on her heart. I, I didn't want to uh, cause her to, to not feel like she's in the flow. I mean, just want her to, I want you to know her. I want you to get to know her because uh, she's the best person I know. So, Diana? Diana? Come on up and let me turn your, your little mic on here.
2: Thank you. That was a very good message. And it's a message that we can take home with us. Uh, because we all have that flesh after salvation that we have to deal with. And if you found uh, that you want things your way, it's just it would be a lot easier if your spouse would just do it your way. <laughs> and um, God puts opposites <coughs> together. Is there anyone in here that's exactly the same in your temperament and the way you look at things? Not one person raised their hand. God gives us someone, and we're attracted to people that are opposite from us. And then once we get married, then we try to make them be just like we are. But the thing that attracted us to them is that they were not like we are. I remember, and we'll do this real quickly because you've been in here for a while. Wayne um, asked me to, we went on our first date and he was a few hours late and my dad was getting really nervous because I had to be home at midnight and um, I could only go out two nights a week and this I was in college but I lived at home I could only go out two nights a week and on if I went out on a Friday night and I could stay out till 10 30 but I, if I went out on a Saturday night, I could stay out till midnight and I could swap that around. Well, Wayne didn't understand that because he was 26 years old and he'd been on his own for a while. And he couldn't understand why I had to be home at 1030. And um, it's like, well, you, you, you pass through the door with Mama standing on the other side and you know why. <laughs> you have to be <laughs> home at 1030. <10:30. laughs> and uh, we have some funny stories about that as well, how we knew exactly what time we had to leave uh, where we were to be on the doorstep at twelve midnight or ten thirty. Um, after we had had our first date and then we had a second date, he asked me to go with him. Now I think today they call it dating, But remember those of you that are a little older, it was going steady. Remember that? Yes, yeah, so some of you that are younger, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But um, now there's a young couple in the back of the room. What do you call it? Are you dating? Okay, yeah. they're dating. Okay, <laughs> so I've already asked them something like how long you've been married or whatever, and they're they're still dating. So um, we're glad you're in here tonight. Um, we um, he was going to propose to me, but I didn't know this. This was on a Wednesday evening. We'd been we'd known each other about seven weeks, and Daddy wasn't home from work yet, and Mom had gone on the city bus to go to do something to shop for something, and she was late coming in and um, she knew she needed to be back at a certain time because I was going to go to church with Wayne that particular night it was a Wednesday night and he kept waiting and waiting and my mom didn't come my mom didn't come and I couldn't leave because there were little children in the house that I was responsible for while she was away and um, I said why don't you go on and then you come pick me up after church and um, and he didn't leave and he didn't leave and I could tell he was getting really nervous so we get in the car we drive to the church and the church was on the um, Ohio River and um, what I didn't know this but we drove up to the church and he said this is not at all the way I planned it he was going to take me down to the park bench on the Ohio River and it was in January so <laughs> it was really cold at that time in Kentucky and um, we we he Hands me the ring and puts it on my finger, and um, I don't have it because um, I was sick about three years ago. And you know when you get sick and you're you're just resting in a recliner, you you lose your 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 rings get real <laughs> big on you because you've lost water weight. And um, Wayne came in trying to help, and there was some cough drop papers and other things on the table, and he just picks it all up and throws it in the trash. And my ring was there, so um, <laughs> I'm still married, but I don't have my ring. And um, I wear a little fake one but I, d- I couldn't find it tonight but um, <laughs> 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 when we get everything taken care of then we'll get a ring but, um, but it's not it's it, once you're in love and, and um, once you live in your married life with Christ being in the center of it those things don't even matter they don't matter anymore rings don't they don't matter and if you kind of like those kind of things that's okay. Um, but um, with us it's it's all right if I have one or if I don't have one but um, anyway we ran into the church and and uh, we go in and what I didn't know the reason he wouldn't leave my house is because he had told everybody at church that day because he was a youth pastor that he when we came to church that night that he would be engaged so the music pastor had all the songs with love in it like love love lifted me and this and that and, and um, he was so excited but but our um, engagement night did not turn out to be the way we that we thought it would be and real quickly on our wedding day you know how you just think everything's going to turn out just exactly right I got to the church with my family and it had been a busy morning trying to get all the little children ready and ironing clothes and all of that and I got to the church and I realized I didn't have my shoes I forgot my shoes so I turned to my brother-in-law and I said you've got to go back to the house and get my shoes well it was time for the wedding to begin 30 minutes later, he comes back. And we were 30 minutes late, starting the wedding, and my brother-in-law said, I couldn't find a pair of shoes, so I just brought two white shoes. One was a heel, and one was a flat. (laughs) So I go down the aisle, and I had the the heel on the left foot, so I'm tiptoeing on the right foot. About 20 years after we'd been married, I was having a conversation with my dad, and I said, I don't know why I just didn't go down barefooted. And he said, honey, don't you remember? I begged you to go down barefooted because all the people were waiting. So we started our marriage 30 minutes late. And I've been 30 minutes late everywhere I've ever gone. <laughs> so um, my daddy told Wayne before we were married, that would be the biggest problem that he would ever have with me is my, my being on time. But I did arrive on time tonight. And I'm praying about that. And God's helping me with that. But um, I... I on our wedding day, it was such—it was a sweet day, and Wayne and I both thought that we knew Jesus Christ because we had done what we thought you were supposed to do, is walk the aisle, shake the preacher's hand, and be baptized. And we were most serious in that, and we wanted to be saved, and we thought we were, but we were still living for ourselves. And the way that Wayne has explained it to us, what the Bible teaches, is that when you're not saved and you go to church and you think that you're a religious person, you will be one of two types. You will either be um, the religious one or you will be the rebellious one. Well, in our situation, I was the religious one and I would have been a great Pharisee or a legalist because I do better uh, if you put me in a little box and say okay this is these are the rules you abide by these rules and then you'll do really well and that's what i had done i tried to be a good a good daughter a good sister a good mom a good wife and i I just tried and tried and tried and i worked so hard at it and i thought that that was the reason why god would let me into heaven (coughs) wayne on the other hand was the rebellious one And I think he was probably just like our little grandson is now, and uh, he's very, our grandson is very curious, he's into everything, he came at Thanksgiving, and when he left we knew he had been in every drawer in the house, (laughs) because he loves money and he was looking for money. (laughs) And um, so Wayne's way was never, as far as what I understand, because I didn't know him in high school or college, but his way was not like criminal, but it was just having fun and doing things he shouldn't do. So he's the type of person that if you draw the line. And God says, no more, don't go across that line. He has to step his big hairy toe over that line. (laughs) And it may be just a half an inch, but he's going to do it. Now, I would not. I'm like three feet behind the line because I don't want to get into trouble. So on the wedding day, um, all of the gals in here, I don't know what you were able to wear. If it was a borrowed dress or a dress that you found that you just loved and you'd waited to wear that dress for a long time. But you looked your best, the very best that you could look, didn't you? You had your makeup the way you wanted. You tried to do your hair that way. You had your dress on and you probably your matching shoes. And um, so that's, that's what we do. And um, we had a Christian wedding um, because he was a youth pastor, like I said. And, um, and we got married, and we left, and I was so excited. And everywhere we stopped to get gasoline as we were on our way to the, for our honeymoon, we, we went to Mammoth Cave, <laughs> for our honeymoon and um, that's just the kind of honeymoon I had always dreamed about and um (laughs) and now that I know him I think oh well why not why would he not choose something like that and um so we we went and we had about three days and we both had to be back at work and um while our engagement period was such a short time we'd never had an argument and on our honeymoon we had an argument and I was devastated and um I didn't know what to think about that. And we don't remember what we argued over, but we had our first argument. And that was my first disappointment in marriage. And um, I just want to read these verses to you that the Lord put on my heart. And then we'll close. This is what I was like on my wedding day. And Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. He's in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. He says, Jesus speaking, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, But inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men. But inside, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I had never seen myself like that. But after I got saved, I surely understood these words. Because, gals, as we walked down that aisle that day, we were beautiful on the outside but if you didn't know Jesus Christ then you were just like this just like I was on the wedding day and Wayne would have been shocked and I would have been shocked if I would have known that about him but that's what we all are like apart from Jesus Christ the bible tells us in proverbs that the fear of the lord the the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom mm-hmm. and the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge in another place So how were we to live in our marriage if we didn't have the fear of the Lord? And it's not to be afraid, but it's to have a reverential awe of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God. And so if you don't have his wisdom and you don't have his knowledge, how in the world do you love one another? It is impossible. So how many of you in here were saved when you got married? Okay. Okay. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. But there are several just like us that were not saved. And um, so we're going to have a wonderful journey as we go on through our lessons. And um, that's where we began. And next week, we'll tell you how we got saved and and what God has done in our life in these um, almost 41 years. And I can tell you in all humbleness that if you're willing to be obedient to what God says and the way that you're supposed to behave as a Christian that you will you can grow in love more in love now and in the next few weeks and months and years than you have than you are now and I can say to my sweetheart I love him more today than I ever have because we seek to apologize to each other the moment anything arises we do this all the time and i'm always apologizing (laughs) because as females we often have our mouths open and running right so you some of you in here may say i'm not going to do that i'm not yielding i'm not giving my mouth to the lord i'm not giving my heart to the lord Um, she's the one that's wrong and we'll talk to you about that next week And an old man that is with the Lord now told us one time, he said, when when you have an argument with your spouse or with a friend in any kind of relationship, be willing to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And then you might say, but I wasn't wrong. And if I say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, then I'm being a liar. But he said, well, what was your reaction to that person, even though you weren't wrong? And your reaction, if it was wrong, then you're wrong. And in that, it qualifies you to be able to say, I'm sorry. And I say, I've asked God to forgive me. Will you please forgive me? And I'm doing that all the time. And then he does that to me. And we go to bed at night. And we have nothing between us. I'm not bitter at him for anything because we've talked about it. Sometimes those conversations weren't very pleasant. <laughs> but we've talked about it. And, um, and now we're, we're right with one another because God has shown us how to be right with him. Yeah. Well, um, let's pray. Father we thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for what Wayne shared about the wedding vows and how we do enter into marriage thinking that we can promise that we will love no matter what and Lord you show us that that's when we make our first mistake and Father I thank you that you can encourage each one of us in here tonight that if we have bitterness that has been piled up in our Hearts for years and years and years. That we can bring those things before you. We can bring those things to our spouse. And you can cleanse us. And enable us to walk. More in love tomorrow than we are today. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks Diana. Well. Next week we turn the first key. Is the key of believing. Which is exactly what she's talking about.
2: For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.